Good evening. I'd like to give you a welcome as we meet to worship our God, whether we're here in the building or whether you're joining us online. You're all very welcome. Before we start, just have two, two messages, two announcements. One is that there is refreshments later. So there are refreshments after this service. And the second one is just to, um, for you to put a, a, something into your mind, into your memory, that our anniversary services are coming up, which are the, 20, the 22nd of June, Thursday the 22nd of June, where Dan Jarvis is coming down to preach. Now just be warned, it starts at 7 in the evening, not half past 7. So 7 o'clock in the evening, Thursday the 22nd, for our anniversary services. We're going to start our worship by singing, um, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand hath made. And we'll stand as the music starts.
where we're going to turn to that great God that we've just been singing about. And um, I've never quite noticed it before, the gentle breeze that we sung about. I mean, that'd be lovely to have a gentle breeze through here tonight. Let's turn to our God in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to you in prayer, we ask for your presence among us. We come before you as the King of Kings, as the Lord of Lords. We come before you as our Creator. And we've just been singing your praises, singing about what you have created. We can see that with the the majesty in the stars and the mighty thunder and in things like the gentle breeze. And Lord God, as it's warm tonight, we pray that you would help us to focus on you. And we pray that there may be that gentle breeze to help us concentrate. Because Lord God, it's you we want to worship tonight. It's you we want to praise. As we come before your word, we want it to speak to our hearts. And we want your word to transform our lives and change us. Lord God, you know each of our hearts. You know each of our lives. You know whether... We're here, but we're not really interested in you. And we pray that you would be merciful and gracious. And if there are any here tonight who do not know you as their saviour, that they would turn to you. Lord, we pray that for those of us who do know you, again, you know our hearts. You know our minds. You know where our lives are at this moment in time. And Lord, we pray your word would continue to have that transforming work within it. We pray that your word would draw us closer to you, that we would come more like Jesus. Lord, we pray your word would help us to praise you more and to worship you more as we think of what you have done for us. We think about what you are willing to do, to be obedient to your Father in heaven and to come and die on the cross so that we can be forgiven for the wrong that we have done. Lord, you died having done no wrong, but you were willing to take the punishment for all those who would come believing and trusting that your death has taken away our sin. And we can have that peace with the Father in heaven. We pray that each of us here would know that peace with you. And Lord God, we know that, Lord, You didn't stay in the tomb. You rose again and you are now in high. You are there working for us there. Lord, bringing us, making us ready for that time when you will return. When you will come to claim those who you have saved. Those who have called on your name. Those who have asked for forgiveness, trusting you. And there you'll take them to that better place where there is no crying where there is no pain, where there is no trouble, where there's no tension, where there's no illness. Lord, we pray for any who do not know you, that you would, in your mercy and grace, work tonight. Lord God, we want to um, commit to you events that are happening this week. Lord God, we ask that as the Hope Explored starts on Tuesday, that you would be with those few who are starting. Again, we pray that your word would come in power. Lord, we pray for Ace on Friday. As the children come together, as they come together to have some fun. Lord, 
we pray that those who are doing the talks will be helped. And again, your word would speak to them in a small way. We are so thankful, Lord, that children can be saved. Lord, you draw children to yourself and you encourage them to come to you from what we read in your word. Father God, we um, commit those to you who um, have plans over the summer that involve change from their normal routine. We commit any students to you that are doing work experience for their courses, they're doing placements, ask you to help them in those. Lord, we ask that you would be with Ed as he plans on going down to Bournemouth. Lord, you'd ask that you would help him, that you'd help him to settle in a church, that you'd help him to settle in work. And we pray that you would be with him. Lord God, we're so thankful that we have that command to cast all our cares upon you because you care for us. And Lord, help us to do that in our private prayer life, to bring those things that are troubling us, whether they are health burdens, physically or mentally, whether they're financial burdens, or whether they're burdens at work that are bringing stress, or in the home. Lord God, we ask that we would commit them to you and ask for your help in each situation. Lord, for those that life is going well, Lord, we bring you thanks for your goodness um, to them. We ask that they would be thankful to you, that they would see your good hand behind it, and Lord, that they would not become dependent on themselves, but keep their dependence on you. Father God, also we commit to you, John and Esther. Uh, we pray for them as they are away. We ask that you would refresh them, both physically, mentally, and spiritually. And Lord, we pray that um, you would bless us on their return, as you bless them while they are away. Lord God, we ask that as Sai brings your word to us in a short while, Lord, that you would be with him, but that you would be with his word, that as he speaks, we would feel the power of the word as we listen. And we pray our lives would be transformed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got our, our second hymn, which is, The Price is Paid. The Price is Paid. Come, let us enter in. To all that Jesus died to make our own. For every sin, more than enough he gave. And bought our freedom from each guilty stain. And let's stand as the, the music starts.
Well, we're going to have our, our Bible reading now. And Isaiah's asked that we read from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13 through to 53, verse 12, which is page 613 if you have a chapel Bible. So Isaiah 52, verse 13, and it's on the wall behind. You can read it there too. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, though he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession 
for the transgressors. And what a God we have to be able to go through that. And if we realise and understand what Jesus has done for us, then we will join in with our, our next hymn, our next song, which is Tell Out My Soul, The Greatness of the Lord, Unnumbered Blessings, Give My Spirit Voice. Let's stand and sing as the music starts. for your, your very warm welcome, and warm is the word for the day. Um, it's, it's great to be here, it's very nice to see you, catch up with you, um, it's great to be here, and to bring you the, the greetings of Hilfers Church uh, Coventry, and uh, of course you had uh, Paul Watts preaching for you on Good Friday, and uh, he really enjoyed uh, being here, and was really encouraged by his visit, um, so it's, it's great to be here. Uh, this evening we're just going to think about one verse, you can see that there up on the screen, um, you'll find it on page 604, if you're using one of the church Bibles, 604, and we're, we're in Isaiah chapter 43, and it's verse 25, Isaiah 43, and it's verse 25, where God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now, how good is your memory? My, my memory is varied, so some things, um, I, I'm very good at remembering, but other things, I'm completely hopeless 
Um, so, for example, if someone tells me their name, within five seconds, I've completely forgotten what their name is. And then I just spend the rest of the conversation trying to recall what they said their name was and not listening to a word that they've said. Uh, which is very embarrassing because the next time you see them, uh, one, you can't greet them by name, and two, you can't carry on the conversation that they think they've had with you. Um, I go upstairs for something, and I get to the top of the stairs, and I can't remember what on earth I've gone upstairs for. And the only way to remember is to go back downstairs. And sometimes the process happens two or three times. Uh, You go into a shop to buy something, and you come out, and you come out with a whole load of stuff, but it wasn't the thing that you went in there for, because you've completely forgotten what it was. Um, I I remember last year, um, I forgot how old I was for a considerable amount of time. Um, So I thought that I was 42, and that at my next birthday I would be 43, only to get to my next birthday and realise that all along I've been 41, and I'd now turned 42. And on the plus side, I genuinely felt like I'd been given an extra year of life. Um, you should try it if you're feeling a little bit old. Um, on, the, on the downside, uh, the fact that things like that are happening um, suggests that I am getting really quite old. Um, what's your method for remembering something? What's your method for remembering something? Uh, maybe you set an alarm on your phone. Uh, maybe you just write it down somewhere. I was chatting to someone a, um, a little while ago, and they had a rather strange method. Their method was that if they've got something that they need to remember, they just put the bin in the middle of the room. And hopefully that will kind of jog their memory that they've got something to remember. But they say that they find out that half the time they stand there staring at the bin in the middle of the room, wondering what on earth it means. Our memories can be frustrating. And yet here in this verse... God is saying that instead of remembering something, he's going to forget something. And instead of it being a frustrating forgetting, instead of it being a sign that God is weak or limited, instead of it kind of being a a symptom of old age, it's a wonderful forgetting. It is a blessed forgetting. It is a gracious forgetting. It is the forgetting of sins. Uh, This morning we thought about how because of Jesus being the Passover lamb, um, our sins can be forgiven. Well, this evening I want us to spend some time thinking about this verse and thinking about what forgiveness looks like and some of the different dimensions of forgiveness. So maybe this evening you're not a Christian. Uh, Wouldn't you just love to be forgiven by God? Uh, Wouldn't you just love to have your your guilt taken away, that burden that you've got on your conscience removed, and and that barrier between you and God completely gone, uh, and to have your your fear of hell taken away, and to know that you are forgiven? Well, you, you can be forgiven. And this verse talks about God's forgiveness. Uh, maybe this evening you are a Christian. Well, well, how good it is to ponder and to linger and to dwell on the wonderful forgiveness of God. Now, we're not going to go much into the context. Um, instead, we're just going to look at the verses, a standalone verse as we see it through our New Testament eyes. Um, but, but just to make you gulp, I know that it's really warm and normally you get like the preacher or whatever have just about three headings. Well, we've got eight this evening. Um, but we are going to move fairly quickly um, from one to the other. So um, so I want you to think of forgiveness as being like this diamond, which has an infinite number of sides that we will marvel at for all eternity. 
Well, to your disappointment, we only get to look at eight of those sides this evening. So, we start off with the first side, and it is authority. It is authority. God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now, if someone tells you that you are forgiven, what is crucial is that they have the right to forgive. And they have the authority to forgive. So, for example, if you stole someone's car, and then a few days later I came alongside you and felt a bit sorry for you and told you that I forgave you, now that would be a nice thing to say. It would be the expression of a nice sentiment, uh, but it would be fairly meaningless unless it was my car that you had stolen. Because in that situation, I wouldn't have the right to forgive you. I wouldn't have the authority. You haven't sinned against me. Someone can only truly forgive if they have the authority to forgive. And that's what God is saying here. That he and he alone has the authority to forgive sins. Uh, If you look in verses 22 to 24, God has been telling the people of Israel about their sins against him. They've been doing things that they shouldn't have done. They haven't done things which they should have done. Uh, They've been thinking wrong thoughts. They've not honoured God. Um, Indeed, they've been tiring God out with all of their sins. And yet he says, I, I am the one who forgives you. And notice the emphasis, the strong emphasis on the word I. Only I have the authority to forgive you, God is saying. Only I have the right to forgive you. And I do forgive you. I do forgive you. And this is the gospel promise in Jesus Christ. God has the authority in Jesus to forgive your sins. God has the right in Jesus to forgive your sins. How amazing is that? So it won't be that when you get to the day of judgment, you will find that God's promises were empty and that actually God was a fraud and he was promising something that he couldn't do. No, God has the authority to forgive you your sins. He has the right to do it. And if you are trusting in Jesus, he's done it. Because he has the authority. Uh, The second word is personal. Personal. God talks about your transgressions and your sins. So here, of course, there is a particular context. God has specifically named Israel as people who have sinned against him. But as we look at this verse and we apply it to ourselves in the light of Jesus coming, we remember that this is personal. You see, you need forgiveness. And and I need forgiveness. Uh, You have done things which are wrong. Uh, You have offended God. You are guilty before him. It's very easy, isn't it, to, to think about other people's sins. Uh, especially when they're things that people have done against you. It's very easy to think about how people have hurt you and wronged you. But what about your sins? Uh, What about all the times that you've hurt other people? What about all the times that you've offended God? What about all the things that you should be ashamed of? What about the forgiveness that you need? You see, this is personal. Uh, This is personal. And this forgiveness is on offer for you. It's on offer for you this evening. 
If you have repented and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven by God. You have. It's personal. Or if you do repent, and if you do put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven by God. You as an individual. And isn't that what you want? Deep down in your soul and your conscience, isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you need? Uh, Thirdly, determined. Determined. God says, I I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I will not remember your sins. What do you do when someone wrongs you or hurts you? Often when that happens, our memories suddenly become very good, don't they? And deep down, often we can think, I'm not going to forget what they've done to me. Uh, We can have this sense where we are determined not to forget what they have done to us. Maybe that's you at the moment. Maybe you're holding on to a grudge in your heart. Maybe you've become bitter about the past. Maybe there's someone that you're not really talking to at the moment because you're determined not to forget what they've done to you. Maybe you are feeding off the poison of that bitterness and that lack of forgiveness. And yet here we find that God is determined to forget. God is determined to forget things that people have done wrong. And it's not the kind of determined where you try your hardest but you know that you're not really going to succeed. It's the kind of determined that's decided. It's going to happen. It will happen. Uh, when, when you put your trust in Jesus, God will not remember your sins anymore. He, he will not remember them anymore. Um, he, he, he doesn't. He, he, he won't. It's decided. It won't happen. But then, of course, you have to ask the question, does God actually blank our sin out of his mind? Uh, Does God actually forget it? When, When God forgives us, does he from then on actually have no recollection of what we've done wrong? And, of course, the answer is no. God, God still, still knows what we've done. No, no, the word remember is often used when God is about to act, when he's about to do something. So, for example, you remember in Genesis 8, and Noah and his family and the animals have been in the ark for some time. And we're told in verse 1 that God remembered Noah. Now, it wasn't that God had forgotten Noah, but it's just that now the time was right for God to act and God to do something. And so here, when God says that he will not remember your sins, it doesn't mean that he's actually forgotten them. He's saying that he will never, ever act on them. Because he has no need. Because he's already acted on your sins. He's acted on them by laying them on your Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that now, as God looks at you, he doesn't look at you through the lens of your sin... He looks at you through the lens of Jesus paying the price for your sin. Meaning that God has forgotten them. They're in the past. He's he's let it go. They're gone. They're forgiven. They're dealt with. It's decided. They're finished with. It's finished. Our fourth word. Fourth side. Mercy. 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 
God says, I, I am, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now, to transgress means to cross a boundary. It means to break a law here, God's law. And of course, when you break a law, what you deserve is to be punished proportionately. That's called justice. Now, if you look at the verses, in many ways, verse 25 comes as a massive surprise in the flow of these verses. It's unexpected. For in verses 22 to 24, God has been telling Israel about all the ways in which they have failed him, finishing in the second half of verse 24 by telling them that they've even tired him out because they have sinned so much against him. But then you go from God feeling tired of their sin in verse 24 to God forgiving them in verse 25, and there's no explanation of why in between. It's just this massive jump from one to the other, from verse 24 to verse 25, from tiredness over your sin to forgiveness for your sin. Verse 25, it's wonderful, but it's a massive surprise. It's, it's, it's totally unexpected in the flow. Because what they deserve is not what they get. It's a bit like the person who is having their portrait painted and who said to the artist, I hope you do me justice. To which the artist replied, it's not justice you need, it's mercy. It's the same with us. We need mercy. If if you saw your spiritual portrait, you would realise more than ever that you need mercy. Uh, We need to be treated in a way that we just do not deserve. Uh, And as we repent and we put our trust in Jesus, that's exactly what we receive. When, when you repent and you put your trust in, what happens to your sin? Well, well, verse 25 tells us. It's, it's blotted out. It's, it's blotted out. It's, it's completely removed from your record. Every trace of it, it's gone. It's, it's wiped clean. It's deleted. It's erased. It's washed away. It's no longer there to condemn you. God does not remember it anymore. Mercy. I love how it's put in Micah 7 and verse 18, where where Micah describes God as someone who delights in mercy. You think about that small phrase, delights in mercy. Have you ever met anyone who truly, instinctively delights in mercy? We're not wired like that. But God, he delights in mercy. In mercy. Uh, No wonder Micah asked that question uh, towards the end. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of his people? Mercy. Uh, Fifth side, complete. Complete. You know, I think it's very common for people who are truly trusting in Jesus... Uh, to think that God has forgiven them for their sins. And yet there is this one sin that they don't feel forgiven for. Or there is this one sin that they just can't believe that God would have forgiven them for. So maybe it's a sin that in their estimation is bigger than the others. 
Maybe it's a sin that has caused more hurt than others. Maybe it's a sin that has become public and they're very conscious of it. Maybe it's a sin that is very private and they feel very ashamed of it. Maybe it's a sin that is the result of a temptation that they struggle with more than other temptations. It's it's only a small detail, but notice that it's plural, not singular. It's transgressions. It's sins. You, You see, God isn't focusing here on one specific sin and saying, well, well, I forgive that. Uh, Nor is he saying, well, I'll forgive you for all of your sins except this one. No, as you put your trust in Jesus with God, there is complete forgiveness. There is complete forgiveness. Every single sin forgiven. Every single one. The big sins as well as the little sins. Uh, The public sins as well as the private sins. The sins that you are utterly ashamed of and you would die if anyone found out about them. As well as the sins that actually you should be a lot more ashamed of. Complete forgiveness. Sixth side. Assurance. Assurance. I I, I love the way in which God, he he doesn't just forgive people. He doesn't just forgive people, but he he wants people to know that they're forgiven. You see that all through the Bible, God, he wants people to know that they are forgiven. He wants them to have peace. Um, He wants them to experience the joy and the relief and the freedom that comes from knowing that he doesn't remember their sins anymore. And one of the ways in which God assures people of the forgiveness of their sins is by telling them that they are forgiven and then telling them again that they are forgiven, but in a different way. And he does that exactly that that same thing here in verse 25. So God, he says, um, I, I blot out your transgressions for my own sake. And then he goes on to say, and I do not remember your sins. Now, God could have said that he blotted out our transgressions and left it at that. And that should have been enough. And yet, God, he he doesn't. He emphasizes it. He He gives two descriptions instead of one. He repeats what he says, but in a different way. And it's almost as if he's got the doubting a believer in his mind and he pictures them not quite having peace at hearing that their transgressions have been blotted out and so God he also comfortingly says and I will not remember your sins I will not remember your sins and throughout the Bible God he goes out of his way to give us these wonderful pictures and statements Uh, To help people have the assurance that their sins are forgiven. So, for example, he says that he takes away our sin as far as the east is from the west. I mean, he he puts our sin behind his back. He can't see it anymore. I mean, he casts it into the depths of the sea, never to be dredged up before him again. God, he goes out of his way to assure us. He doesn't just tell us once, he tells us twice. And then the seventh side is costly. Costly. So it's a 
It's a big surprise to go from the weariness of God over sin in verse 24 to the forgiveness of God in verse 25 with, with no explanation of why God is doing it. And of course, what is also missing is, is how God is going to do it. And yet, as we've seen in our main reading, uh, as you read on through Isaiah, it becomes clearer and clearer how God is both going to punish sin, but also forgive his people. It's going to be through laying our sin on another. It's going to be through his own special servant, his son, dying in the sinner's place. In Isaiah 53, we read these words. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Uh, The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I don't know whether you've read Dan Walker's book, Remarkable People. It's a, it's a great book to read. Um, but there was one particular story um, that he included in that book that um, stood out for me. It was incredibly moving. And so there was this family. There was um, Ilsa and her husband, James. Um, and they had two children. They had a, a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter called Georgia. And, uh, Georgia, and then, then they had a, a two-year-old son called Joshua. And uh, they went on holiday to Egypt, uh, but tragically, while they were on holiday in Egypt, uh, Georgia, their, their very young daughter, um, she fell desperately ill and her life um, hung in the balance. Um, she was flown home to the UK, um, kept alive only by a life support machine, and she was rushed as quickly as possible to King College Hospital. Uh, sadly, there was nothing that they could do for her. Um, However, before the life support machine was turned off, um, Ilsa brought up the subject of organ donation. Um, Ilsa felt that they should donate her organs, but James, her husband, George's dad, just couldn't allow himself uh, to do it. Eventually, he agreed. And so they had to go through a list and tick off the organs that they were willing and happy to donate of George's. As they were going through the list, at one point James broke down. And, and he said, he said, not her eyes, Ilsa. And not, not her beautiful eyes. And, and Ilsa said, what, what, what if our son Joshua was blind? And through the giving of their daughter's organs, uh, the lives of four people were saved. And two people were given the gift of sight. How did God provide this forgiveness for people like you and me? He did it through the giving of his own dear son. He did it through the giving of his hands and his feet and his back and his head. He did it through the giving of his love and his obedience and his soul. And his all. It it was through the giving of his son as a total offering for sin. All my sin of every kind. All the thoughts that stain my mind. All the evil I designed. 
laid on him. All the ways my feet have strayed, all the idols I have made, all the times I have not prayed, laid on him. All the told and acted lies, all success and all the tries, sins that I legitimize, laid on him. All that sinks me to the mire, all the times of base desire, all that needs a cleansing fire, laid on him. All my misdirected powers, all my many wasted hours, all my dreams of ivory towers, laid on him. All that makes my spirit cold, all that keeps me from the fold, all that dims my father's gold, laid on him. All the times I've grieved the spirit, all the nature I inherit, all the punishment I merit, laid on him. Laid on him God's own dear son, laid on him the holy one, blotting out the noonday sun when laid on him. Costly. Your forgiveness is not cheap. It is costly. And so we finish with our eighth side, which is security. Security. Why has God done this? Why does God not remember our sins if we trust in Jesus? Um, is, is, it, is it because of us? Is it because of some lovable quality that we have? Is it because of some level of goodness that we have achieved? No, we're told here in the verse, it's because of him. Um, he's, he's done it for his own sake. He's done it for his own glory. Um, he's done it to display how great he is in all of his mercy and his grace and his compassion. He says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. He's done it for his name. Uh, he's done it for his fame. He's done it for his reputation. And there is wonderful, glorious security in that. We are changeable. He is not. Uh, we are up and down and he remains the same forever. Uh, if it depended on us, on our loveliness, on our spiritual success, on us always resisting temptation, on our religious performance, on us always having a good day, there would be absolutely no hope for our salvation. And yet there is hope. There is sure and there's certain hope because it all depends on him doing it for his glory. And you can find peace and rest and security in that. Uh, we've compared God's forgiveness to being like this um, sparkling diamond with an infinite amount of sides that glitter and shine and sparkle and glimmer, uh, a diamond that we will marvel at and glory in and praise God for, for all eternity. And yet we don't have to wait until then to praise him for it. No, we can praise him for it now. We can thank him for it now and we can honour him for it now by enjoying the relationship that we have with him because his forgiveness is a forgiveness that forgets. His forgiveness is a forgiveness that forgets. And uh, we're now going to um, sing our, our last song uh, that embraces this theme of God's mercy. 
uh, where we are reminded so wonderfully uh, that God's mercy is so much bigger, uh, so much greater than all of our sins. Uh, when, when the music starts, uh, please do stand and we'll sing. Thank you so much for your amazing mercy, for your wonderful grace, for your immense compassion, uh, for your great forgiveness. Uh, We thank you so much for your patience towards us. And Father, we pray that we would marvel, that we would wonder at these things. Uh, Lord, that we would understand more and more how big your heart is towards sinners. And uh, Father, we pray that we might worship you and glorify you because of it. We pray that we might sing of you and pray to you and speak of it to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.